0: Well, good evening, everyone. Uh, welcome to Stay Focused. My name is Pastor Jay Morgan. I'm director of Appalachia Prayer Center Ministries and the West Virginia Prayer Alliance, and I'm your host this evening. We've got a lot to talk about today. Um, I, I'm excited you're joining me. It's been a few days since I've I've done a um, episode of Stay Focused, and I've been uh, busy with a couple of ministry projects, and uh, honestly, a little bit of today is part of that. Um, it's, it's part of something that I've just been working on, some thoughts have been uh, putting together, and I'll, t- I'll talk about that, you know, uh, at some later point in time. But uh, what I wanted to do today is we're, we're talking about this 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 topic, uh, well, we also talk about this topic of revival. And, and revival is, you know, where God, the word revival is being, means to bring back to life or consciousness, and this word revival is when God moves into a community and and brings back to life, you know, people that the church comes back to life first and foremost, and usually what results is um, a lot of people getting saved, a lot of people on fire for God, um, and and so this is a, a topic I talk about a lot, but something I've been thinking about here lately is is it's what is the mark of a revived church? You know, I, I often talk about how that a revival season. In a church or a community, is is like laying the the uh, the paddles on the chest of a you know person whose heart has stopped, and and you you put those those paddles on, and it it's a jolt. It brings them brings them to, to, to life, and but to life for what? Just to go back to sleep, go back into a comatose state to, to die again, and just wait for the paddles to be brought back next month, and and and, and I don't think so. I don't, I don't think that that's um, what we're talking about. So uh, what we have to learn to do is learn to live in a revived state, which means when revival seasons are over, see, a lot of people, man, they just love revival season. They're fun and they're exciting. And they're exhilarating and lots is happening. Uh, they're they're life-changing, life's trans, transforming. But a lot of people just long for that. And Because I think the only other option is, is to go into spiritual death and go back to where they were at. But I think that there's another option, and that is you learn to live revived. You learn to live with life flowing, and it might not be the intensity of that revival season. Jonathan Edwards, a great revivalist of the First Great Awakening in America, says that revival is an intensification and an acceleration of the Holy Spirit's normal work. Now here's the thing, uh, maybe some of us, uh, we honestly don't even know what the Holy Spirit's normal work is. And so how do we just normally live with life and vitality um, and not just wait for the next jolt to bring us back to life, then we drift back to, to sleep and death. So uh, I want to talk about this probably a lot. Um, uh, there's a lot of thoughts in my mind over the last couple of weeks on, on how a revived church lives and functions, and uh, but today I, I want to talk a little bit about marks. So maybe just some marks of a revived church, and I I couldn't make up my mind really what I wanted to call today. I wanted to call it firebrands. You know, I wanted to call it um, you know what do you burn for? What what lights your fire? Uh, but here's this idea, and. Um. I, this this was inspired by just a little clip I watched of John Bevere a while ago. I don't I don't know when it was exactly, but it was it was it was, it was months or a couple of years ago, and John was talking about uh, the the church at Sardis out of, of the Book of Revelations when Jesus is speaking through the Apostle John and giving a correction. This is you know uh, roughly sixty years after Jesus has gone back to heaven, he appears to the Apostle John and gives some correction to his churches. And and here in the book of Sardis, he talks about how that, um, okay, I'm, I'm finding it right here. Uh, it won't be in your screen. I didn't quite have the, the, uh, the, the time to put that together today. But he says, I know your works, and you have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. I want you to think about that. He said you have a reputation for being alive, but you're dead. Now now think about this, Um, and John makes this point, okay, and I'm not quoting him verbatim, this is my words, but if you see some little church of, uh, and I'm not criticizing um, small churches, I'm I'm criticizing lifeless churches, okay, (laughs) just honestly. So you see a little, um, you know, little church, 10, 15 people that are miserable, they don't want to be there, they're just kind of showing up, going through the motions, um, maybe a lot of infighting, they don't, they're not connected to the community around them, there's not a lot going on. I, I don't think they would be, They. I don't think that church would have a reputation for being alive. So this church at Sardis, now I don't know what the marks were back then for being an alive church, but they look like they had it together. Now think about that. In today's context, I mean, uh, you, you, you would say that you know there are churches that look alive you, you, they have all the marks of being alive they have energetic music, rooms full of people who are enthusiastic to be there people signing up to serve maybe they have multiple staff they have vibrant children's programs and engaging youth programs, impactful uh, in, uh, activity in the community and if these are all present in your church you would most likely say my church is alive. But is it possible that your church looks alive but it's actually dead? Well, I think so. When you look at this this uh, reprimand to the Church of Sardis, that there are you have a reputation for being alive but you're actually dead. Now, all the things I, I just mentioned aren't in and of themselves wrong, but they don't they do not mean none of those things in and of themselves means that your church is burning for the right thing. See, so here's the the question that I want to pose. Um, I have been in the church my whole life, Um, just honestly. I mean, I've studied leadership my whole life, and here's what I know. Any organization, the the church or uh, a community, uh, a workplace, a a family, any organization that has vitality and life, there's someone burning for it. There's someone on fire. There's someone expending a lot of energy and resource to make this thing happen. So when, when I look at a church that looks alive, uh, the first question I want to know is who are the burning ones? Okay, because somebody's burning for this. Somebody is expending a lot of energy, time, money, effort on this thing. But then uh, the, the next question is, is, what are they actually burning for? What's the light in their fire? Because just because it's a church doesn't mean they're burning for the right things. It doesn't mean they're expending all this energy, time, money, Even doing good things for the right reasons. And I'm not talking about just like the obvious, you know, some people hiding sin, hiding behind the church. I'm talking about people that are really passionate about the church. But is it possible that you're passionate about your church, all the things that's going on, but it's not being motivated from the right place? See, it's kind of like what Jesus said to another church. when he was given the, this correction in Revelations, notice this, he said to the church at, at Ephesus, you have persevered, I notice this, you have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary, yet I hold this against you. Like, you're a hard-working church, even undergoing persecution. But Jesus said, I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. Uh, uh, the New Living Translation translates it like this. You don't love God and people. You don't love me and others like you did at first. See, this is a call to return to the basics of the great commandment, which was what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. See, the first church burned for loving God and loving their neighbor, but in that order, and I'll talk about that here in a minute. By the way, tonight's program is probably not going to fit in 28, 30 minutes, so I'm just going to go and, and, um, listen. If you jump in in the middle, whatever, back up and watch all over, watch on the replay. Okay, so, um. What we're talking about here is the great commandment, which is what should fire us up, a passionate love for God, first and foremost, and then love for people. And when you look at the first church in the book of Acts, it's just what you see. You see when you read Acts 2, 42 through 47, I've talked about this uh, in, in other Uh, episodes and just what the church should be and how they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. I mean, they're selling their stuff, they're helping each other, they're feeding each other because, you know, they're rejected by their families and have to, you know, uh, communally and help each other. I mean, there is a a radical expression of the great commandment in the book of Acts, right? Loving God and loving people. Fast forward, now the church is growing. Fast forward 60 years, now you have Jesus reprimanding the churches. He's telling one you have a reputation for being alive, but actually you're dead. So they're doing a lot of things that look alive, but they're not alive to the right things. Okay. Then you have Jesus talking to the church at Ephesus and says, you're doing a lot of hard work, but you don't love me and others as you did at first. In other words, you're burning. Listen, you're burning for the wrong things. I'm not saying, this. I, I, I'm talking to somebody here, and, and I've been to church my whole life. I'm a church growth guy, I, and the reason why I'm a church, I have historically been a church growth guy is because I have wanted to see people come to Jesus. By the way, that's why I'm a revivalist now, is because I want to see the same passion. I want to see people come to Jesus, but I'm going to tell you that it's possible to get super involved with church with a desire to see people come to Jesus and just miss the mark. And it's hard. It, listen, as someone who's been there and I'm not sitting here critically, I'm sitting here uh, just in a loving way saying, guys, we, we have to make sure we get this right because we can look revived and actually still be dead. And we'll point and say, I know mean, we have room 12 enthusiastic people. I mean, we, we have X mental baptisms. We have, um, you know, we have enthusiastic children's programs. We're engaged with the community. Okay. And all of those are good things. Again, Church of Sardis, you have a reputation for being alive, but I see that you're dead, and I think it's because you're burning for the wrong things. And man, and again, it's it's hard, it's it's, it's hard to to know this, particularly if your church seems to be firing on a lot of th- uh, right things. It's even harder to admit it. Uh, be as someone being there, it's really really hard to admit. That your church can have a reputation for being alive and doing all the right things, all the good things, but actually be that. Now, here's here's what I want to do the rest of tonight. Is I am going to go through some questions of what are you really burning for? Okay. Do you burn for Jesus first and foremost? Remember, our first commandment is not to, our first commandment is not to go into all the world and make disciples. Our first commandment is to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love our neighbors. We love ourselves, which will then motivate us to go make disciples. Love for God and people will motivate us to go make disciples. Uh, but do you burn for Jesus? Do the people in your church burn for, for Jesus? If if now, now and, and, and listen, listen. Today I'm going to talk real straight. And I'm uh, you know if I offend you, I'm just speaking from my heart, speaking from thirty years of church experience. And not speaking in a judgment. I, listen, I'm not speaking up here. I'm just speaking here, person to person. Someone's been there, and uh, here's the thing: it is possible for people to come to church just to get their Sunday morning feel, and and really not be burning for Jesus. If if someone wants to just punch the clock, live like hell, be a sort of heaven when they die, they probably aren't burning for Jesus, right? That, notice he didn't say just love God. He said you have to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Are people obsessed with Jesus in your church? Are they truly blown away by the goodness and love of Jesus, and they just constantly talk about it? You know, I'm just going to say, you know, there's a problem when the primary things that people say about your church to other people is, oh, you know, we have a great kids program and we have a very active youth group and we've got a great man and you'll like our preacher. Now, listen. There's nothing inherently wrong with those things. But instead, I'm telling you, if your church is alive for the right things and the very manifest presence of Jesus is there, you're going to find a lot of people saying, you know what, when our church gathers, you truly encounter Jesus. You know, uh, if you gather with us, you'll encounter Jesus as well. I don't know the ways you'll encounter him, but you will encounter him. And listen, I'm not against great music, band. If you've been around our ministry and stuff, you know at all, you know, uh, we have creative environments at, at Appalachia Prayer Center. We do our summits. We have creative environments. They, uh, they, they look certain ways. We utilize screens. We utilize music. And, and I'm not against that inherently. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying if that's the focus, it's a wrong focus. You are burning for the wrong things. You could look alive but actually be dead. But no one knows it because people are really excited but are they really excited or do they burn for Jesus? Wow. As a matter of fact, all of those things I just mentioned can actually become an idol. If they're more of your focus than the presence of Jesus, they can become an idol in your church. Now, healthy churches, will have some or all of the things I just talked about, but these things do not mean the people in your church are red-hot disciples of Jesus, revived, right, Re- revived. Uh, do people in your church burn for the manifest presence of God? I mean, where are the people? You say, Jay, we, you know, we have rooms full of people and they're excited. Or let me ask you this: Where are the people who are interceding and praying for God to change your communities? I mean, is it one percent, two percent, ten percent, twenty percent, fifty percent? I mean, if you have lots of people showing up, but no one is really broke. I don't mean just excited about inviting people to the new sermon series. I'm talking about people whose hearts are broke over their communities. I just think maybe you're burning. You could be burning for the wrong things. Like like the parable of the persistent widow. Who is someone who is... Daily going to ask the judge for justice until he concedes and, and we must do the same in our appeals to God and insistent prayer warriors. And and when I say prayer warriors, I almost don't like to like to say that because you're like, oh, well, I'm not a prayer warrior. You know, my gift's this. If you're a Christian, <laughs> your calling is to love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. First and foremost, you want to be with God, you talk to God, you intercede. Pray- Praying is not something for a group of people in your church. And if the majority of the members, I'm not talking about the people who are visiting, the new—the the, the newcomers and things like that, but I'm talking about the majority of the people who are part of the fellowship of your church, if the majority of them are not routinely interceding and praying, broken, spending large amounts of time uh, praying for the community, praying for the church, persistently praying. Your church just might have a reputation for being alive, but they're not really alive because no one is burning on the altar of intercession. And again, I'm just going to say intercession. You cannot show me a scripture, cannot show me a scripture in scripture that says intercession is just for some people. I can show you where the early church, when they gathered, one of the primary things they did when they gathered all through the book of Acts, read the book of Acts. One of the primary things they did, not the only things but one of the primary things they did when they gathered was they burned in prayer and they prayed and the angel went and rescued Peter from the prison and they prayed in the house shook, and they prayed and, and boldly. And they were, you know, they, they were received power from on high people who long and desire and intercede and pray for the very manifest presence of God are marks of a truly revived church. And I'm not just talking about four or five here or there. I'm just talking about that's the prevalent culture of your church. I mean, are you laying yourself uh, uh, as a living sacrifice on the altar of intercession day in and day out? Well, will you be the one, guys, who will rebuild the wall and stand into the gap until it's rebuilt? Will, be, uh, until it's rebuilt? will you... Uh, the, be the one who stands as a, as a watchman on a wall. Will you give God no rest until the, He remembers the promises He's made? I'm going to read something here by Duncan Campbell, who's a revivalist in the in, in, in Hebrides Island revival in 1949. He says, According to the reports given to me by the minister of the parish, You would find men waiting through the night in confidence that God was about to manifest his power. Wow. Let me read that again. You would find men waiting through the night... "'Waiting through the night in confidence "'that God was about to manifest His power, "'you find two elderly sisters on their faces "'before the, uh, the, the the peat fire three nights a week "'pleading one promise. "'I say one promise, and that is the verse that says, "'I will pour out water upon him that is sources "'and floods upon the dry ground. "'A promise made, as they declared, this was a promise by a covenant-keeping God, and they said, we will keep praying until the water comes until to help floods. Now, let me tell you, when your church is alive for the right things, you will find a great number of <clears throat> the people who constitute that church alive and desiring for God to sustain his church and pour his water out. Don't, you know, I have found that instead of an intense desire to pray and seek God's face and power, we find people who are often disgruntled at being asked to linger and pray for their friends and family who don't know God. Or, you know, I found that people can get angry at a pastor for having the audacity to preach against them and potentially, uh, and potentially rather, offend their friends and family. So rather than lingering and praying and interceding and asking God to bring people to faith, People are actually disgruntled at the at someone asking them to do this. And I want to tell you that those who truly burn for Jesus, they will reject the the lukewarm attitude of feel-good Christianity, and instead they'll cry out with fervency to petition God to fill them and their community with power. So, how do you know if your church is alive for the right thing? Is the majority of the members of the church, and again, not the newcomer, not 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 the person who isn't even saved yet and they're coming to listen, but is the majority of the members of your church burning for God to send his power? That's a mark of a church that's alive for the right reasons. Do the people in your church burn for God's word? Uh, let, let me let me just back up for a second. You know, I can talk about the people in your church burning, but are the leaders, are the pastors burning? We should see evidence of profound and consistent tearing uh, in the spirit in our church leaders. Uh, you should see evidence. They should be dripping with the presence of God like the early apostles where people said these people have been with Jesus. It should be evident. We should have worship leaders and worship teams who know how to worship face down on the floor long before they they uh, desire to stand on a stage and lead. We should see pastors saturated in the presence of God, spending as much time um, asking God for his power and presence as they do uh, selecting um, stories or crafting words for sermons. I'm just telling you, this is how a revived church lives. I mean, do, do we have worship teams who will stand in the presence of God and burn for hours in an empty building because they truly are ministering to the Lord and not to man. See, first and foremost, when you have that, you will have God's power to see a revived church knows how to live with passion for Jesus. Revived leaders live with passion for Jesus. Now let me just keep moving. Do do, do people burn for God's word in your church? Where's the passion to live out the challenges of Christ every day? You know, ironically, listen, uh, ironically, a church can look really alive and they can be very excited about inviting people to this new engaging, engaging, creative teaching series that their pastor's doing, yet make absolutely no effort whatsoever to actually live out that creative teaching. Now, creative teaching series and, and those things aren't in and of themselves wrong. I just want to know, are you living out, though, this message? Are, are you living out this message that you're creatively teaching, pastor? Church, are you living out this series that your pastor is creatively teaching to you and you're inviting people to the postcards and the Facebook invites and all those things? I mean, do you burn for the Word of God? I've actually found that there's in some churches that look very alive, that the people— who, who function and 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 provide the cogs to that church, the core of that church. Many of them have little to no regard for the Word of God. Period. They don't study it. They don't read it. Uh, honestly, a lot of them don't even believe in the authority of the Word of God. Uh, they 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 think maybe it was God inspired, but they really d- doubt large portions of the Word of God. Uh, they don't value the Word of God, and yet. They're very passionate about this, this church and expend a ton of amount of energy and resource and to keeping this church functioning and even get excited about the creative series we're doing and yet really don't value that word that's being taught. And it, like I said, and some of them, if you really push it, they don't even believe in the authority of Scripture. They, they don't believe it's inerrant. It's mm. So you can have a reputation for being alive You can even have a reputation for being very excited About the teaching and preaching that goes on in your church But then actually not live it out Actually not value it I want to go a step further There's a lot of churches that claim they're, they're alive A lot of Christians that claim they're alive But honestly they're not burning for Jesus They're burning for an experience And a lot of those same guys will point fingers at you know maybe what they call a secret sensitive church, and a church that looks like the world, you know, church that's now they'll point the fingers of those churches, but they they, that you know just appeal into the flesh, but they themselves only desire some experience in church. Don't get me wrong, I believe you can experience God. I have I have personally experienced God in mind blowing ways. I believe that people can be overwhelmed by the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm not downplaying that at all, but notice this. The early church experienced true revival. The first church in Jerusalem, I mean, at and after Pentecost, fire, drunkenness, spiritual gifts exploded everywhere. And there was an enormous surge in salvation and conversions. And the result of that experience was a, but, but listen, the result of that experience, when you read Acts 2, 42 through 47, was a passionate desire to, To live out the teachings of Jesus. They devoted themselves to the teachings of the apostles. And what did the apostles teach them? Everything Jesus commanded. Going back to Matthew 28, 18 through 20. So I'm just saying, after you get up from your deeply spiritual experience, are you doing what Jesus said? I mean, after you pick yourself up off the floor, are you doing what Jesus said? Are you really ready to do what he wants? Are you ready to go wherever you're, wherever he wants? Are you ready to forgive that person? Are you ready to love that person? Are you ready to serve that person? And I can just tell you, it doesn't matter how many spiritual gifts you claim to have in your life, laying the floor, prophesy, I'm not downplaying those. I'm a person that believes that. But I'm just saying this, if you don't actively seek and live out the teachings and will of Jesus, then by definition, you're not a follower of Jesus. You're a pursuer of experiences. Mm, I know it's a tough truth. A follower of Jesus, by definition, is someone who actively seeks and lives out what he says. They're a follower of Jesus. They follow like playing, follow the leader. If the leader raises their hand, what do you do? You raise your hand. As I heard Francis Chan one time say that if you're playing, follow the leader, and the re- leader uh, you know raises his hand, you raise your hand. If he hops on one foot, you hop on one foot. You don't just sit there with your arms folded and just say, "Well, I, I'm ra- you know I'm following in my heart." that's not how you play follow the leader how do you play follow Jesus you do what he says and there's a lot of people who are passionate for experiences but they have very little desire to actually get up after the experience I believe in the transforming, imparting empowering experience of the Holy Spirit but after that are you ready to do what he wants now or are you just going to chase another experience hmm the point is that the experience is not an end to itself. It transforms you. It propels you. Notice this. Uh, in the 1700s, I talk about the Moravians a lot, but the, the Moravians are a group of Christians who, due to persecution, live communally together. Um, and But see, division crept in. And the leaders thought this whole thing was going to fall apart. And then corporate prayer was called. And according to their account. Pentecostal Pentecostal power fell upon them. They said we had an experience like the day of Pentecost, and what ensued after that was a hundred-year, twenty-four-hour-day prayer meeting where two people an hour continued prayer, and they taught their children, their grandchildren. everyone, you know, they just perpetuated it for a hundred years, and hundreds of from their group gave their life to world missions. Some historians traced the, the first great awakening to the Moravians. John Wesley, the great revivalist, encountered true salvation and and became what we know as John Wesley after meeting these guys. What's my point? Is they experienced Pentecost power, but he propelled them, changed them, transformed them into greater love for God, greater love for each other, propelled them into sacrificial world missions. Some of them, uh, as the stories go, even gave themselves... To be sold as slaves, to preach the gospel in lands they couldn't get into otherwise. What causes a person to to burn for Jesus like that? Yes, yes, an experience, a true experience with God. So if you're experiencing God, I'm just telling you that the point of that is not to, to chase a new experience, but it's to get up empowered to do what he wants, go where he wants, forgive who he says, love who he says, serve who he says. And because you can, your church can be full of experience, but if people aren't actually following and pursuing Jesus, you might just have a reputation for being alive, but you're actually dead. Let's keep moving. Do people in your church burn? Um... Uh, over conviction for personal sin. Remember what I'm saying. You could point and say, man, we got a lot of enthusiastic people in our church. People are spending a lot of time and energy and money to make our church happen. Jay, my church is alive. But, but honestly, you can, be, you can have a reputation for being alive but actually be dead. If they're not burning for Jesus, if they're not following Jesus after their experiences, if, 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 if they don't have a hunger for the manifest presence of God to come into the church, if they're not passionately following the Word of God, You might just have a reputation for being alive and actually be dead. If people aren't convicted of a personal sin, I just wonder if the great convictor is actually in your church. You know, the Holy Spirit is the comforter, but Jesus also said he is the convictor. And so while people might be enthused about your church, is your church full of people who are Christians who are asking God to change them and deliver them from their sin? I mean, are people getting 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 serious about overcoming the sin in their life? And you know, I'm not just talking about the handful of ones we like to point out, like you know, addiction or sexual immorality, things like that. I- I'm talking about is people in your church are their hearts broken over their own sin? Is their hearts broken over the the gossip that comes out of their mouth, the racism, the pride, the idolatry, the lust, the sexual immorality? They, they I mean. Uh, the, the pornography, are, are, are they broken with, with their sin? Because I'm telling you, if a church is truly alive to, to, to Christ, they will become dead to sin i Am not saying a Christian never sins? No, I'm not saying that. But I am saying this, that when a Christian sins, a couple things happens. The Bible says that if you're truly his, he will correct that he will discipline the son he loves. And the scripture also teaches us that a Christian will begin to have a hate for sin in their life. And I'm not talking about hating other people for their sin. I'm talking about... When you fall into sin, you you realize that and you begin hating that sin that easily besets you. And that means you begin crying out to God to deliver you. Are our, our altars full of people tarrying um, and praying and asking God to deliver them from their sins? Altars and churches used to be full of believers coming up and saying, Oh, God, free me from this sin. I have this sin I can't get through. Send your fire and power to break this sin off my life. Deliver me. But now we just want some messages that, you know, make excuses for our sin, downplay our sin. And, you know, Don't make people feel uncomfortable. Don't convict people. And I don't believe you should just convict people for the purpose of making yourself feel better or, or being pharisaical. But, you know, we have to preach the truth of God's word and then ask people and compel people to, 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 to pray for deliverance. And so while your church might be full of enthusiastic people, are your altars full of people passionately asking God to deliver them from sin? I mean, are people lingering and praying and asking for deliverance? Are people tearing for power and say, God, give me power so I can go out in the world and bring deliverance? Are, are the members of your church helping each other um, overcome sin? Uh, or are they just making excuses for each other for their sin? You know, James, the book of James tells us, confess your faults one to another, pray for each other, so you'll be healed. So so are, are we helping each other? Are we listening to each other as we confess faults and sins and struggles? Are we praying for deliverance for each other? Or are we just making excuses for each other because the truth is we don't want to deal with our own sin and we don't want anybody bringing it up? And so we're certainly not going to bring up anyone else's. I, I know this is true, but but here's the thing. Your church can be packed full of enthusiastic uh, 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 people, but if your altars aren't full of people asking God to, to deliver them from sin, tarrying, asking God to to undo them with power so they can go out and bring deliverance to the world, then your church just might be alive to the wrong things. They could have a reputation for being alive but actually be dead. And let me just, I'm just going to keep moving. I mean, do, do you burn with a desire to make new disciples of Jesus? And I didn't say, are you really enthusiastic to, to get people to come to church? Now, do I believe disciples come to church? Absolutely. I, this isn't a bash church uh, message at all. I believe, and I believe that yeah, you do go to church. And Do I believe you go be the church? Yes. But the word church itself, as I've taught you before, actually means, you know, a, a gathering of called out one. So, the point of this is I'm not asking you, are you excited about getting people to come to your church? Even though it's important for Christians to come to church. I'm, I'm, I'm saying, do you have a desire? Do you burn with a desire to make new disciples of Jesus? Because you're passionately in love with Jesus. And you understand that every person on earth is the reward of his suffering. And he has earned the right for every person to know who he is. So you go tell people about him. And then you train. Here's the thing. And this is so important to you. That you, that you submit yourself to training so that, that, that you're equipped. And then you tarry for power. I'm just going to say it again. True evangelism more than just inviting the lost to bring a friend to worship service and then trying to coax that person to say in a prayer in the hope that they're now saved. No, true evangelism, spiritual warfare for a person's soul, it is bringing a person to Jesus, face to face with Jesus, and giving them the opportunity to see the breathtaking glory of God in the face of Jesus, which results in full devotion to Jesus from them. Man, and this is tougher. Listen, this is tougher than inviting people to a service. But I want to tell you, if you're not first violently in love with Jesus yourself, rather than teaching unbelievers and new Christians to passionately follow Jesus, you might instead be teaching them how to get excited about what you're doing in his name rather than being excited about him. And doing things in his name is not enough. Remember, you just remember Matthew 7. On that day, many will say, Lord, look what we did in your name. And he said, I I don't know you. I'm just saying it's very possible that you can get people and unbelievers and new Christians excited about what you're doing in his name, but they're not actually becoming disciples of Jesus pursuing him. And this is sobering news. I mean, look at this stiff rebuke that Jesus made to the Pharisees. You, he said, "You travel land and sea to win one person, and when he's won, you've made he, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves." Now, that's strong language from the Son of God. Uh, the point is, Jesus said, "Just because you're passionately trying to get people in your group and teaching them what your group's about, don't mean you're making disciples of me." Now, listen, carnal, complacent Christians looking for a good time in church. And a get-out-of-hell-free card will produce other carnal, complacent Christians looking for a good time in church with a get-out-of-hell-free card. And while this might fill up our buildings, it will do nothing to transform our communities. Am I against growing church? Absolutely not. The first church in Jerusalem was a megachurch. 3,000 people saved the first day. I'm just saying that we got to do it right, that we got to be people who burn with power, and then we go out. With, with signs and wonders falling into a lost world and people encounter that power and we bring them into a red hot environment of other Christians and help them grow up. I, I mean, I, I know I'm introducing a lot of things and I'm not unpacking all the details on how to do all this. I'm just pointing out some of the things that need to be done. You know, some so many churches are, and and I'm I'm winding up here. I got a couple more thoughts to throw at you, but so many churches are comfortable with pews filled with complacent Christians, and 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 here's the thing, and and they'll they'll say no, no, my church isn't complacent, but they never really probe below the surface to to find out because they don't want to know if they are or not. And it's okay if they'll just show up and go through the motions, and maybe join a serving team or get involved in a small group, but they don't really know if this person is passionately following Jesus, or they're you know they're filling their room uh, with people who are interested in being encouraged and and having nice experiences, and not necessarily filling the room with, with believers and unbelievers who long and desire to encounter Jesus. They, you know, I just want to say thanks, but no thanks. A real church is raising up an army. I mean, a real church is looking for soldiers, not attenders. A real church is looking for family, not just fans. A real church is looking for ministers and not just consumers. Now, you can easily find plenty of churches with lesser visions. And I'm not just, listen to me clearly. I'm not saying if a church is large and people and it's growing, that that they're dead, if they just have a reputation for being alive. No, they very well might be alive. But I'm giving you some of the marks to look for. Now, you can find churches with lesser vision that are used to be quick to use your gifts and to build the ministry and, and don't really probe into your spiritual vitality. But listen, a Jesus-centered church that loves Jesus. A revived church is obsessed with the Son of God, the bride of Christ. A revived church is the bride of Christ who is obsessed with the bridegroom, Jesus. And they're more interested in that. Than anything else, man. And here's the last thing. I'm just talking about marks. Like, what what fires up it? If, if you say, "Well, this church is alive," okay, I, they, uh, no doubt someone's burning for, for it. But what are they burning for? Now, I've gone. Are they really burning for Jesus? Are they burning for the lost? Are they burning for power? Are they are they burning with conviction over their own sin? Are they burning for for the word of God? And, and do they burn for each other? I mean, do they love each other? So the last one I'm going to talk about. And man, I'm going to crank it up here at the end. And, and uh, you you know, maybe <laughs> there might be someone that says, I'm not watching this nuts videos anymore. Okay, but listen to me carefully. Is the, a revived church really loves each other? I mean, It's not just a nice place to go on Sunday. It's it's a family. And it's an environment where you are legitimately happy to get together with other believers. Uh, Whether you're in prayer, discussing the Word, or enjoying a meal together. You're constantly growing and living as a family of God. And I'm not just talking about just people who are, you know... Excited to get together and share a meal and share fleshly carnal chit chat or pity parties with each other. And that, that that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about people who they gather, they 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 passionately burn for Jesus, they encourage each other in the word, they encourage each other in the ways of Jesus. And I'm just gonna I'm gonna end all this with a with a really big warning. If you are a pers- if you are a person who gets really excited about the love for people message and here's how our church is engaging with people but you're not burning red hot in love for jesus but you're really excited about the let's reach people message i'm afraid you could be really dangerous and not in a good way this see what happens is this posture actually makes you a, a threat to jesus's mission to be really passionate about loving people, but you're not red hot for, for Jesus. Now, now why would I use such strong language? I I'm just saying because it's 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 possible that you're that it's just a codependent desire to help people has been manifest. Uh, you feel it, it could be possible that you feel it's your job to save and love and fix everyone, meaning you, you have to keep everyone happy around you at all costs. And this is dangerous because you will likely get in the way and, and start intervening and putting your fingers in it when the Holy Spirit is uncomfortably challenging people around you to change. You'll want to, you'll want to downplay that. You'll want to fix that. you And if you suffer from maybe codependent traits and you're not burning for love for Jesus, you will most likely set yourself up as an ally for lukewarm people to run to when the Lord begins to turn up the heat in your church. And when people begin to experience the conviction of the Lord and the power of the Lord and they're confused or perplexed or angry, when this happens um, rather than just helping them understand, you know, I know the Lord's challenging us and it's tough and I'm trying to learn too. No, you get kind of Start undermining what God's doing in the church, undermining your pastors and leaders, undermining the work of the Holy Spirit by downplaying it. Uh, If you're fixated on people before being fixated on Jesus, it's it's very likely that on a conscious or unconscious level, your salvation, your personal salvation is tied to what you do. You might define yourselves by the works you do in ministry or the impact you're making on the community. And you you begin truly believing that you're expressing Christ's love and you're following his will because you're staying busy and you're serving the community and you're doing a lot of good things in his name. But like the, the, the Ephesus church, something other than red hot love for Jesus is motivating your service. And he'll say, you've done a lot of good things in in my name, but I don't even know who you are. Let me tell you, do I believe in works of service? Absolutely, all the things. uh, uh, Caring for the poor, uh, uh, caring for the downtrodden, uh, the, the addict, the addicted, the imprisoned, all of that, yes. But all of that must flow from love for Jesus. If not, you're very likely it's flowing from a codependent place in your heart. I'm not saying you're a bad person. I'm just simply saying, that you will most likely get in the way when Jesus starts challenging people to change if you're not very careful, if you don't love him first. I'm also saying you could be getting your identity from serving and what you're doing and not with the relationship you have with Father God as his son, as his daughter. Do we love our neighbors we love ourselves? Absolutely, Jesus commanded it. Do we love and serve others? Yes, Jesus is commanded. But if you serve, listen to me carefully, and I'm wrapping up, but if you serve sacrificially, yet do not burn red hot for Jesus, your motives are highly questionable. It's very important that you do not confuse the spiritual gift of mercy, which is having compassion for people, like the Bible said, with having an excessive emotional need to keep everyone happy and get their approval. That's codependency can look like mercy, but it's actually not. See, mercy it's the Holy Spirit working through you. And the Holy Spirit will not accommodate people in their sin, but codependency will. So does passion for God burn in all aspects of your life? Does it burn in your life and language? What What is the prevalent topic of your conversation? Sports, politics, hobbies, current events, or, or gossip? Is that primarily what you talk about? But let me ask you this, when was the last time you began a conversation with someone with saying, you know, I was reading the Bible today and look what God spoke to me. Or while I was praying, God told me or, you know, I am so convicted over the sin of my life and the Holy Spirit loved me enough to, to tell me where I'm falling short and I, I need help. Or when you get together with other believers, you just talk about what the world talks about everything else. I mean, if you're a red hot revived in love for Jesus it just naturally flows it's just like for instance when 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 you go visit a new restaurant and you love it or you see a movie and you love it you know you just naturally start talking about it. you go I mean you listen you got to go try that you got to go try the ribs there you know, listen you got to go watch that movie I'm just saying that when you are, and I'm not telling you you make a conscious effort, I'm talking about Jesus more, I'm just saying make a conscious effort to get with the bridegroom more and burn with red hot love for him because that's what it means to live as a revived Christian in a revived church and they will flow out of everything you do and your everyday language and you will want to honor him more and more. I hope that today you were challenged. I hope today that um, you were convicted even. And I hope today that I've given you some things to think about that you can monitor your life to say, I am living as a revived um, church, a revived Christian. Listen, I love you. uh, Show the video with the guys, with uh, with others. Um, It's possible that this video Oh, I might have had some broadcast issues. I'm looking down at my screen right now. It's possible. If that's the case, I'm going to repost it later on. If not, then this one will just play. So share it with some guys. Go back and watch it yourself. And I ask the Holy Spirit to convict you and show you anything in your own heart that needs to change. I love you guys. Hope to talk to you soon.